Mark 6, verses 1 through 6 say, Jesus went out from there and came into his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And the many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles as these performed by his hands. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph? Uh, James and Joseph and Judas and Simon are not his sisters here with us and they took offense at him Jesus said to him to them a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his household his own household and he could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them and he wondered at their unbelief and he was going around the villages teaching. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to be astonished at your word like we should be. We want to marvel at your teaching and be amazed by your miraculous hand. We want to behold you for who you really are. Help us, God, not to wander any longer, but to wonder at you. Not to linger in disbelief and let that fester into unbelief in our hearts, but help us to see you for who you really are. Let that vision of you drive so deeply into our hearts that the reality of who you are begins to shape who we're becoming. And we're becoming new creatures as your dearly loved children and family. Help me now as I prepare to proclaim your truth. Let my words stay out of the way, my thoughts stay out of the way, and let only your right word come through with your power. And God, empower each of us to be transformed by your spirit. Give us new hearts, hearts that seek to worship you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So in this text, as often is the case in Mark, it's moving pretty, pretty quick. And I want to ask us, if we will, to force ourselves to slow down, not just in these collective gatherings on Sundays, but in our own Bible reading, that we would slow down and ask questions of the text. What's happening here? Because Mark's, he's really moving so fast, it's kind of hard to keep up with sometimes. You know how when you're telling a story, you use the word anyway? You know, you're telling this hunt story or something, you say, anyway, and you start chasing this rabbit trail, and pretty soon, you, you, five minutes later, or if you're like me, maybe half an hour later, you say, oh, and anyway, and you're trying to find your way back to that bigger story. It's kind of like that reading Mark. But he uses, instead of anyway, he uses immediately. He uses it something like 40 times in the gospel, just over and over. And what he's doing, he's chasing these little side trails, but he's bringing us back to the bigger story, too. This is the story of Jesus' life, and this is what happened in his ministry as he walked the earth. He also uses immediately, but he, he says things like, and Jesus was teaching them. Or Jesus was teaching the disciples, saying, he'll start his sentence with and, and you know a lot of times when you see that, that he's going to jump into something totally different. Or he's going to bring you back to that big story. So we've got to pay attention to these cues, and I think there's three potential issues that could kind of trip us up when we come to this text. So I just want to go ahead and name them up front and hopefully strip, strip the power 
away from them where they won't trip us up. First is the structure of this little side story. So it's set up like a sandwich. It begins with Jesus, the big story of Jesus traveling and teaching. If we look at that very first verse, it says, Jesus went out from there. Do y'all remember what there was? Last week, he went, or as we read last week, he went and healed a do- uh, someone's daughter, Jairus, healed her from the dead, raised her from the dead. He, he actually called her like a father would. He said, Talitha kum. And the reason that's not translated is because it's so special. It, it was something only a father would say or a grandfather would say to their daughter. It's, it was really pretty radical. So in one way, Mark's kind of getting us to pay attention to that. Something in that story is going to be patterned or going to be similar in this next story. So he left there and went into his hometown. And then at the very end, you see, and he was going around the villages teaching. So he's going place to place teaching about himself, teaching the gospel, preaching the gospel. And then this little story happens, and then he's right back on the road. So the big picture is everywhere Jesus is going, he's preaching himself. He's preaching the gospel, and he's making a pretty big commotion. If you remember in this last episode, the crowd that was gathered around the house laughed at him before he raised the daughter from the dead. If you'll remember even further back, several of the miracles uh, invited this kind of like ridicule. There was the cleansing of the leper. I get to talk to you all about that one. A lot of people were astonished at that. But pretty soon, people's astonishment, their amazement, starts to turn into rejection. Well, he's doing too much now. He's, he's working on the Sabbath. And Jesus is really doing this on purpose. He's really showing them the gods that they're putting before him. And not just the idols that they've made for themselves, but the way that they hold the law in front of Christ, who's the fulfillment of the law. So we look at the structure of the story, and we see it's sandwiched between the big picture of what Jesus is up to. But then we look at the pace of the story. Mark's super fast pace. In this, it's six verses, and two of them are, you know, coming in and coming out. So really, it's this really brief dialogue. It's six questions that the people are asking. And it's really not questions like out of curiosity or doubting. It's questions that are scoffing at Jesus. It's like rhetorical questions. Who's this guy think he is? That's the tone. Let's read that real quick. It says... Where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him and such miracles as these performed by his hands? Question number one. Question number two. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon? The next one. Are, his, are not his sisters here with us? It's just question after question about who, who God is. And then it says, and they took offense to them to him, to Jesus. And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. And that's the end of Jesus' dialogue. So it's kind of a brief conversation. Mark's style, because he's such a good storyteller, 
lends itself to this kind of eavesdropping, strange feeling like we're listening to this story being told, but we're not quite in on the conversation because he turns aside to us and helps us keep track with it here and there, like a narrator. That's what he's doing. And most people believe that's exactly what's going on here. We're listening to the story being told from Peter to Mark about what it was like to follow Jesus so closely. So we have the structure that could potentially take us off course if we're not careful to follow Mark's cues. We have the pace, super fast, and we just got to force ourselves to slow down. But then thirdly, we have what some people call intercalations. I heard in the Sunday school class that y'all got a sheet of paper so you can write some notes down. Here's one you can write down, intercalation. I-N-T-E-R, like interstate, I-N-T-E-R, collation, C-A-L-A-T-I-O-N, intercalation. And it's, it looks exactly kind of how it sounds, which is odd. You never get that in English. But that's really a fancy term, and maybe because it's fancy, it'll help you remember it. But I like to call it a sandwich. And the reason is, everything good in my life, I relate to food. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's a story sandwich. It's when you have one story inside of another story. One example of that would be what you just went through in chapter 5, where Jesus is on his way to heal Jairus, but he stops and he heals this other lady in between that, the, the lady with the issue of blood. And then he finishes out the story and he goes and heals this daughter. And the reason, Mark is a master of these sandwiches. He does story sandwiches all the time, like Big Macs, triple, you know, he just keeps on stacking them up. And he's, he's good at doing it. One of the things he's doing when he does that is, is telling the listener, telling us, listen in here, there's something similar about these stories. For example, the lady with the issue of blood had been suffering with that for 12 years. He called her daughter. The, the girl, most people believe this Greek term to describe her means she was about 12 years old. There's similarities, there's parallels in the stories, and he he's puts them together, not only because they really happen that way, but he's pulling out these details about them so you can see the bigger picture, what Jesus is really up to. So... Do, do y'all remember these Russian, I think they were Russian dolls, where they would have like a little top and a bottom. You'd open it, and then you got a smaller one, and you got a smaller one. Okay, that, to me, that's what Mark is doing a lot of times. And we can pay attention to that, and I believe it will help us, even in this story, see that Mark and Jesus, as Jesus is teaching, uh, are really pulling on other things that have already happened. They're, they're bringing up older themes, not just within this story, but within the whole biblical narrative. So we got the structure, the pace, and the sandwich, we'll call it, or the intercalation. In this case, Jesus is dealing with discipleship, not just because they're with him, uh, but because of the arrangement of the story, how it comes on the heels of this, raising this 
girl from the dead, that tells us that Jesus is wanting to do something along those lines. He brought three of those disciples into that situation. And he called her by a loving, fatherly name, right? So he's using that language, but he's kind of turning the volume up. He's ratcheting it up a notch when he gets here. He's taking it up a degree and saying, like Mark is saying, not only are these events coupled, but pay attention to where he's going and where he's coming from. Jesus went to her house to heal her. Now Jesus is going to his home. See the similarity? Jesus, uh, you know, he, he redefines families in another area and redefines discipleship in another area. And y'all might remember this one. Brother Jared preached on it a few months ago, I think, in chapter 3. Let's turn there, Mark chapter 3. This was, uh, I was kind of jealous of Pastor Jared. It's right there at the end because I wanted to preach that one. <laughs> but uh, he, yeah, right here, he def- redefines for them what it is to be a fo- both a follower of Jesus and in the family of Jesus. I'm pretty sure you all remember uh, where I'm talking about here. It says, in, starting in verse 31, so we're at chapter 3, verse 31, and we'll go all the way to the end there, 35. Then his mother and his brothers came, and while standing outside, they sent word to him, calling for him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Answering them, he said, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking around at those who were sitting around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, this is my brother and sister and mother. Does that sound familiar? Every time we hear something familiar, we should say, we should start asking questions like, where did I hear that before? And then start looking for it, especially within the same book, but throughout scripture. Where's, where's another place I heard this? So just to draw the connection even more for you, we've got a few different relations mentioned there. Jesus' mother, his brothers, his sisters. Let's go back up to our text now. Chapter 6. He says... Uh, well, the people say, is, this not, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And then even Jesus' response has three different levels like that. A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his own relatives, and in his own household. It kind of moves from biggest to smallest but it also covers the whole gamut, every relationship. If you're, a, if you're a follower of his, you're his family. That's what it means to follow Jesus, is to become part of a new fa- You get a new family as part of it. So this, to me, is one of the trickiest parts, these story sandwiches, because I can easily get lost in it. And I want to just encourage you, if you're getting lost in the word as you're reading, it's, that's awesome. It's good news to be lost in the word of God because you could be lost in a ton of other things, right? Social media, uh, 24-hour news cycle. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's bad news. I'm going to go ahead and tell you that. 
it's all bad news. Um, there's just so many things, self-pity, like bad habits. There's all kinds of things you can get lost in. So why not find yourself lost in the Word of God? That's a good place to, to be. But when you find yourself saying, wait, I'm off track. How to get here? What, how are people all of a sudden like offended by Jesus? What, what did I miss? That's good. Force yourself to slow down and reread. I find myself pretty much every time I pick up the Bible, turning back a few pages, being like, wait, wait a minute, how do we get here? <laughs> what happened? I, I must have lost something. And trying to pick up on that bigger picture. Because often what's going on is that there's something in the bigger picture that directly relates to what's going on within that smaller scene or that smaller episode, especially in the Gospels. So now that we've got those issues a little bit out of the way, let's look at the content of the story. What's actually happened in the story, what's going on. It's kind of one big reversal. It's like the tables are turning. Do you know in movies where they have like a conversation, right? And they get somebody on this side of the table and somebody on that side of the table. And they, they're showing this person head on while they're talking and then all of a sudden it pans and it catches just the other person and it shows them talking. That's kind of what's going on in this story. But it's got three main effects. So if you're taking notes, if you got your pen, <laughs> as some of you are, uh, you, can, you can write these down. These are the three effects of one big reversal. So the crowds were amazed, and then they were offended. The people were amazed, and then Jesus was amazed. And then finally, Jesus was teaching, and then he was doing nothing. He was teaching and doing miracles, and then he was doing nothing. So again, the crowds were amazed, amazed, and then offended. The people were amazed, and then Jesus was amazed. Jesus was authoritatively teaching and working miracles, and then he was doing nothing. You hear the flip-floppy nature of that story? It's like, where are we at here? What's going on? <laughs> uh, it's it's a li- at least a little bit disorienting at first, at, at least for me. And I think if we're all honest, it probably is a little bit confusing, but... Imagine if you're a disciple. What a confusing trip. We're fixing to go to Jesus' hometown here, and he's been doing miracles all over. At this point, let's, let's try to name off, I think there's about six major miracles he's done to this point. Let's see if we can remember some of them. Um, he healed Peter's mother, right? Or mother-in-law? I think it's his mother. Does anyone remember? <laughs> Mother-in-law, okay. Then he healed the leper. He cleansed the leper. He didn't just heal him. He cleansed the leper. Then he calmed the winds and the waves. Then he drove demons, a whole legion of demons out of man. Like a man who was totally crazy would cut himself. He did that. uh, And they drove him out of town for that, by the way. And then what else? He, oh, that's right. He raised someone from the dead. And he's done several other miracles. He, he caused this woman's bleeding to stop. And you'll see that people's reactions, at first, it was only amazement that Mark is mentioning, but pretty soon you get mixed reviews. It's like, 
they were amazed or the person was amazed who received the healing, but everyone else is like, uh, it's time for you to get in your boat and leave. <laughs> we just lost our income with all these hogs jumping off the side. We're, we're ho uh, you know, hog farmers or pig farmers. And again, this is happening here. So they might have expected it. They might have expected some rejection of Jesus. But at any rate, it had to be confusing. Like Jesus starts out teaching, and they're amazed. The, the people receiving the teaching are amazed. They recognize there's something different about this man. He's totally unique. Nobody else teaches with this authority. And we see this over and over, too. Let's, let's turn to uh, chapter 1, where we first see this, because that sounds familiar. We'll be around, let's see, verse 27, Mark chapter 1. All right, it says, And they were all amazed, so they debated among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Immediately the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding region of Galilee. So no doubt this news has made it back to his hometown too. And people are amazed, and yet this amazement, as soon as it comes, it's over. It turns into a offense. So what in the world happened? Again, let's stay right there in, in chapter 1, and let, let's look at uh, verse 21. I think this is going to let us in a little bit on the problem, the problem that has caused this big reversal. Because, you know, it's a really short path here from amazement to disgust. How, how do we get there? Ver, uh, chapter 1, verse 21 says, They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and began to teach. Same way our passage started. On Sabbath, he went into synagogue, started teaching. And they were amazed, again, at his teaching. And he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes. There was a huge difference in the way Jesus taught. And that's because it was his word. He's proclaiming himself because his word proclaims himself. The short answer is Jesus is the problem. Jesus is at the center of everything shifting from amazement to disgust, really, or offense. This amazement was wrapped up in Jesus' authority in his teachings, but also in his miracles. Often the miracles awoke people or you know, made them realize this is really the Son of God. This is who he says he is. But sometimes Jesus would delay the miracle to make a point first, to let people know, this is why I'm healing them, because I have the authority to do so. For example, the, the, the paralytic that was lowered, how did he start that miracle? Forgiveness of sins. And, and he looked around and said, he knew that would be offensive. And he looked around and said, what, what's harder for me, to forgive him for his sins or to stand up? and walk. And the reason Jesus gave them was so that you can know that I'm the Son of God. 
I'll do both. How about that? And, and I don't mean to put, you know, extra words in Jesus' mouth there and make him sound like a smart aleck. I don't, I don't think that was the case at all. But Jesus knew he was offensive. He did. And sometimes we want to make him out to be cool and cool with our culture and okay with the world. And the reality is, Jesus came to bring division. And he said that. People, people will respond negatively often to Jesus. Jesus wasn't controversial just because he showed up on the scene and stole the show because there were big miracles and stuff like that. He was controversial because he was God in the flesh. He was fully God and fully man. And if you're a disciple today, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have to ask yourself, am I ready to be a, like a source of offense? Am I ready to tell the good news of Jesus? It's a, it's a radical story that Jesus is fully man and fully God. That doesn't jive with like the science, the science that's being taught today. That he created everything, that he's both three in one. Three unique, distinct persons in one Godhead that he can heal, that he will heal, that he saves eternally. These things are offensive. People don't believe they need saving a lot of times. So if you're a follower of his, are you ready to take on that offense? His followers were watching him be, be the perfect disciple. They were watching him realizing that one day they would probably suffer this same sort of offense. We ought to be about that same business that Jesus was about. Remember, this thing is sandwiched again with him going about teaching. We need to be about that business, about teaching. It says that Jesus, uh, you know, he, he was saddened. Let's go back up to it. Uh, and he could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he wondered, wondered at their unbelief. And he was going around the village just teaching. So he accepts the offense. He explains it to some degree. He wondered at their unbelief. I think uh, the Gospels only tell of two times when Jesus was in wonder or awe or amazement. And this is one of them, at unbelief towards him. I mean, if you really think about it, there's no way to wrap your head around this, like, they're seeing Jesus in person proclaim his word, and they can see something's different. They have evidence right here. He's not like everybody else. When he opens the word of God, there's authority. Then they see, oh, he's healing people. He did it all elsewhere. We've already heard the news, but now he comes home and he does it. And still, it's, e it's easier for them to dismiss that evidence and leave all those questions unanswered than to admit this is the son of God. I mean, that, that's tough. I mean, how do we do that in our life when we see him work and then dismiss what he's up to? Both in our lives and in the ones we're praying for. So the crowds were amazed and then offended. 
And I mentioned before that the problem was really was Jesus. And it was because of the content of his message. We often say that the gospel is the person and work of Jesus. So what do we mean by that? The person is Jesus was God incarnate. He came in the flesh to become one of us. His message is that you can't save yourself. Your family won't save you. His own, he, he said in his own household, these aren't my brothers and mother and sisters. These are those who follow me. Your family can't save you. Your politics and your earthly king can't save you. But I will. That's offensive. That's hard because we put our faith in other things. Let's look at chapter 1 again, verses 14 and 15. This was the, was the content of Jesus' message, and it's also his purpose statement. It's like a promise that he makes good on throughout the whole rest of the book. It says, Now after Jesus was taken into custody, Jesus came into custody, uh, Excuse me. Now after John was taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Remember that big picture, Jesus always coming and going, preaching and teaching. And he's preaching himself. And his message is repent and believe. It's a tough one. Because repentance isn't just passive, like I'm sorry repentance or feeling bad about your sins. Repentance is an act of turning away from that lifestyle and entering a new one. It's saying, even if I have to, I'm going to give up my mother and my brothers and my sisters. I'm going to be a part of this new family. Everything's going to be totally, radically different. I'm not going to get to follow just any old person I want to, any old political leader or whatever. I'm going to submit solely to Christ the King. I'll submit in other ways, biblical, healthy ways to the government, right? But Jesus is my king, and he's the one I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repent and turn to in faith. So we turn away from sin, we turn to him in faith. That's an offensive message. But Jesus was so compelled, it's as if he couldn't do anything else but go about teaching that. He couldn't, he couldn't stay there in sorrow and think, oh, my relatives and my hometown, they just rejected me, so... I'm just going to stay here and cry a while to God and, um, you know, this is just too sad. I can't go on. He was so moved. His engine was just roaring to tell the gospel, to preach the gospel, to preach himself. And as his disciples, if you're a follower in this room, you should have that compulsion. If it's been a while, we need to, we need to ask God, re- renew our hope our happiness, our joy that we get out of our salvation, just in knowing you. Renew that amazement so that we don't become like those who were amazed and, and quickly offended or calloused. Like when we see, sing these songs week to week about Jesus being crucified, I mean, think about that. He was crucified on our behalf. He didn't just take on the offense of his hometown. He took on the offense of everyone. Every offense in the world he took on when he went to the cross. He was the perfect disciple. 
and he was also the perfect family member. He was the, he's the only begotten son, but he invites us to be co-heirs or, or brothers and sisters in his family. And he showed us how, how to do that perfectly. So if, if you're a disciple, you need to ask God, will you show me and what, and, and what ways have I not been amazed at you? In what ways have I played down the work you've done in my life? And who can I share, share your good news with today? Imagine your life like Jesus's, where you're just constantly going about telling the good news of who he is and what he's done, even just for you. Even if you're not going through and telling like the whole gospel, just telling, hey, I used to be this way, now I'm this way. He's changed my relationships. He's changed my perspective perspective on life. He changed the way I think about things. Maybe for you it might be gardening once a week with a friend or grabbing coffee every morning with a, with a group of guys. Or your, your life may be super fast-paced. I don't know. But at any rate, where you go and who you meet with, it's Jesus coming out. The good news of Jesus coming out. I'm getting ready to wrap up, but let's pray right now. Uh, that, that God would do that in us. Father, just convict us. Let your spirit convict us in ways uh, that will turn us to have more faith in you, to share your gospel. Fill us with your spirit to be bold ambassadors of you, to proclaim your good news everywhere we go. Let us become a people who reflect you in this way, that we just go about telling your good news. God, we want to see our, believe, our co-workers, our family members, our neighbors uh, come to know you. And we want them to be believers with us. We want them to be in the family. So help us rightly proclaim your word and do your work as you always do in their hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So why is this reversal happening? Because Jesus is the Son of God. He's offensive. Plain and simple. If you're a disciple, we've talked about what that looks like. But if you relate more with someone in the crowd, and you've gone from maybe doubting all the way into scoffing at Jesus, I invite you today to stop. I know that's not super deep. I know that's not even that practical. But it's what you need to hear. If you've gone to the point where you're asking these rhetorical sort of questions in a, in a mocking way at Jesus. Stop that and begin to ask those questions again. Don't be like the crowd. They just quit wrestling with this. It is problematic that Jesus is fully man and fully God. It takes faith to do that. The, the Spirit has to reveal that to us. So open up the Scriptures. Open up other sources. Get in the lives of other people who can help you walk through this journey. Don't give up questioning. Continue to question. You can search and know he will be found. He is who he says he is. But finally, if, if you don't relate with the disciples or the crowd, I think we should try to relate to Jesus because his spirit was given to us so that we could live and become more like him and be constantly being made into this new image. But 
here's the tricky thing about that is none of us can really identify or relate to Jesus yet. One day, on this side of eternity, we can't. But Jesus, this is the good news of the gospel. This is the content of what he was preaching. The good news is, of all the religions in the world, they all try to make their way to God. But we can't identify with God. He's too big. We'll never begin to even really comprehend it. But Jesus chooses to identify with us. He came down from heaven. He chose to become one of us. He didn't just redefine for the disciples and for us and for the crowds what it, what it means to be a disciple or a follower of God, because he always said, only do what the Father tells me. He didn't just show us how to be a new family member because he loved people like the little girl, like those he healed, even while others were rejecting him. But he showed us what it's like to take on the offense, our offense. If he hasn't taken on your offenses today or you haven't given him your offenses, give them to him. He wants them. We've looked, we kept looking back in Mark, but there's also a trajectory where this is going. Jesus mentioned in his hometown, in his household, and among his relatives. The, the other time we hear that is in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And there, God tells Abraham, leave from your father's home, your relatives, and go to a place I'll show you. Same sort of pattern. And he says in that, that through your family, all the families of the world will be blessed. So we know where this story is going. Flip back to Revelation at the end and see the completed picture of that. That through that family, through the lineage of Abraham, comes this man, Jesus, who's fully God and fully man. And he's slain before the foundations of the world, but he's slain in real time. And you'll get to that in Mark. But he's resurrected, and he's seated by the Father. And one day we'll get to be there with some from every, every family, every tribe, every language, just like he promised way back to, to Abraham. And we'll be crying, holy, 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 with more than anyone could ever count, a multitude no one can number. What a beautiful picture. That's what we have to look forward to. If you don't have that to look forward to, I invite you today to give your offense to Jesus. Take your questions to him. He can handle it. He wants to handle it. It's his business. That's what he's about. Constantly go about teaching himself and his gospel. Aren't you glad we have this good news?